Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Dead Air Dance Maller, speak to artists and entertainers about their day jobs and the artist and entertainer on today's show talking about her day job of being a comedian and a producer and a warm-up act and all-around great person, a mensch, as her people will say, is comedian Jessica Kirsten. Uh, this is an interview that came about uh, in collaboration with the work that I do with Dig Boston. So you can also go to digboston.com or pick up a print news version of this conversation anywhere in the Boston area where you see a box containing Dig Boston newspapers. Uh, Jessica Kirsten could not have been any more nice and gracious with what little time she had. Uh, this is how I know somebody's going to be a good person. When they replied to me, I reached out to her management about doing this interview to help promote uh, her and Rachel Feinstein's upcoming prank call album and her appearance at Laugh Boston, September 17th and 18th. And uh, not only did her publicist get back to me, Jessica got to me back to me directly in person. And I love scheduling these things with the person in question because it makes things a lot easier instead of the back and forth nature of telling the publicist when I have available times and then getting back to me when they have available times. And of course, inevitably it all happens almost every time somebody forgets to adjust for East coast or West coast, whatever time. And the times uh, end up not working out well. Uh, Jessica and I actually did this conversation via the phone uh, because that worked out more uh, advantageously for her. Uh, And of course I have my home studio that is set up and has been set up for a long time to take phone calls. So it was not a problem. Um, We fixed the audio a little bit, so it shouldn't sound too much like a phone call, but phones this day sound so much better now than they ever did. Um, And I think it was a good, fun interview. She was uh, really opened up about a couple of things, uh, which I was happy about because I don't ever want to do interviews of, so how did you get into comedy? What kind of things happen on the, what's a crazy story from, from being a road comic like that dumb bollocks. I want to actually know who they are and what they do and why they do the things they do. And I think she really opened up about a couple things. Um, and I think she enjoyed it. Um, I know she did because she gave me, it's weird to say this, but she gave me some really nice compliments in there. Um, and I left them in my instinct would, was to actually take them out. Uh, but, uh, I do suffer from depression and imposter syndrome. And so leaving these things in while making me uncomfortable, uh, is a way for me to deal with my emotional feelings about, uh, insecurities and stuff like that. So, uh, it's not, uh, I, I'm not boasting in any which way. Um, I am really embarrassed, but also incredibly proud of the compliments of my entering skills, uh, that Jessica will, uh, you'll hear her say, um, um, and I always like uh, when I can catch my subjects, uh, the people I'm interviewing, not off guard, because that sounds like I'm like Howard Stern and like, I'm going to ask you about questions about your, I'm going to ask questions about you fucking and stuff like that. Like, that's not I don't want to I don't want to blindside anybody. You know, I want them to answer openly and truthfully about the things that I asked them about. And I think she did, um, especially since a few of the, uh, the subjects that we talked about are things that are uh also uh, relative to me in my life. And it was nice to hear that, you know, somebody who has similar issues that I do um, is working through them in a healthy way. Gives me hope that I can also uh, be more healthy in some of the things that I do. That is not the best for me. We'll leave it at that. By the way, if you're just joining this podcast for the first time, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. If you came because, Hey, there's a particular person 
that he that Dead or Dennis interviewed that I enjoy, well, help them out by going to whatever your podcast platform of choice is and leaving this podcast a review, thumbs up, stars, whatever that platform's way of saying this is a good thing. Could you please do that? It not only helps me out a lot, but it also helps all of our subjects because the more positive reviews about this podcast, the more the aggregators and the more the, the companies share these podcasts with other people and the more people it gets shared with, the more people who will listen to it, the more people listen to it, the more people who may like the uh, person you came here to hear. So I would appreciate it if you enjoyed yourself, if you enjoyed the conversation, go leave it a good review uh, and, and some stars or thumbs ups or likes or whatever it is. And maybe if you want to go the extra mile, share it with a friend. That'd be great. I would appreciate it. And I know every guest I've ever had on the show would also appreciate it if you did that. Uh, if you are in the New England area, um, please go see Jessica Kirsten at Laugh Boston, September 17th or 18th, two shows each night. Uh, they're going to be absolutely hysterical. She is one of the best comedians out there now and probably ever. Uh, and if you've never heard of her, this is your first time hearing her, you go see any of her comedy uh, online. Go see her live. You will absolutely enjoy it. I guarantee she is an amazing professional and very talented. So go to laughboston.com to purchase tickets for the shows September 17th and 18th. And also September 24th, her new prank call album with her and Rachel Feinstein will be released. That's coming out September 24th on every platform. You can download audio things at iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, all those places. Uh, so if you enjoy prank calls, the uh, Rachel and Jessica do some of my favorite prank calls, especially since it was recorded during COVID. So there's a lot of COVID stuff in there and it might be a nice therapeutic way to work through the entire madness that has been the past year and a half plus. So, and now without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with comedian and producer Jessica Kearson. Hello, Ms. Kearson. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, thanks for uh, calling in. No problem. I'm so sorry. I've been slammed. Uh, it's such a crazy time. I, I just got off an um, interview, and now I have like a half hour, if that's okay. No, that's perfectly fine. We'll go ahead and get this, knock this out as quick as I can. I appreciate you taking the time. I understand you're super busy right now because the world's getting back to turning again. We're trying to get back out I on know. the road and doing everything. Uh, so I completely understand that you have a lot going on right now. Awesome. Thank you for being understanding. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. Hey, look, it's it's g great to spend any time with you. Oh, ooh, before I forget, I do have to let me. Yeah, uh, I wanted to let you know my buddy uh, Rob Mayer. I was just talking to him the other day and I mentioned that we were going to be interviewing. He wanted me to tell you. Uh, he said hi, and he wants you wish you good luck at the improv this weekend. So. Oh, cool. Thank yeah. you. He's a great. Yeah, Rob's a great guy. It's it's uh it's a shame that we don't get to perform together because I now live in Boston and he's still back in DC where I started. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, so going on it. Let's uh, so you have another new uh prank call album coming out, uh, and I'm always curious because I remember Jim Florentine talking about when he did his prank call album all those years ago that the way he came about it was just he was sitting at home, and he got you know, solicitor calls and then decided to make an album from it. So I'm always curious how somebody goes about making a prank call album. Like, do you sit down and have to 
think of bits ahead of time and hope they work out? Is it completely strictly improv? What was the process for making your last one and the new one, uh, Call Girls? That's a great question. So, um, well, Rachel and I always did prank calls, and I love doing them. I'm, like, obsessed with prank calls. And Rachel and I, you know, because Rachel Feinstein and I, because COVID, you know, it was so depressing and we're very close. We just talked so much during COVID. Unfortunately, like right after COVID started and all my work was canceled, my dad passed away um, a month later from cancer, which was such a miserable time. And her, she gave birth right after COVID. I mean, it was insane right after it came out and uh, her husband is a first responder and we were like let's just prank calls and record them from home so we literally both sat in our in our houses and my manager Jim Serpico recorded them and we video recorded them and audio recorded them and had a blast and just made each other laugh and recorded all of these pranks and tortured um, businesses for weeks Um, and and, you know all of the pranks there's at least one thing in them that has to do with COVID Um, and it it was just our way of dealing with with the whole situation and like laughing every week doing these calls excellent Um, let's uh, I I loved the and I want to watch it again I just haven't sat down and and done it but I want to watch Hysterical again I I loved the documentary the first time around Um, I love that it was introducing every comedian every comedian and then you guys jumped in to the story of some of the things that women have to deal with and using that narrative on the second half of it because it felt so good to watch the first half where you're just meeting all these now I'm familiar with all these comedians because I am a comedian myself and a comedy fan mm-hmm. so I knew who all these people were but as a uh, as a viewer standpoint I thought it was great that you guys opened the first half of it with just here are so many various different female comedians um, and then you guys jumped into you know the, the young lady who uh, called out uh, Max Weinstein and got uh, you know who, who started the whole Max Weinstein thing and uh, all the other stories that interwove back and forth that a good documentary has there's always a narrative of some sort but I love the beginning of it uh, where you're just like here's a female comedian here's a female comedian here's a female comedian because there's so many female comedian women you know com- so many women in comedy now compared to a few years ago um, and I think it was very good for a lot of people to see that when you guys were putting this together was there uh, thoughts on how you were going to go about and what stories you're going to tell? Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, we talked a lot about that and, you know, I didn't direct it. So basically it, it came down to the director's point of view when it was all said and done. But, you know, it's, it's, it, it's so complex, the whole thing. I, it's, it's really, God, it's so. No, it's fine. Cause I, I know you're a, a producer on it and it's always, the producer is the most, uh, broadest term in all of entertainment it's always hard to tell what somebody's involvement was when they have the word producer as their credit right of course and you know what the great thing is is that it's very rare that you know i it it, it, it all came from my idea and and it all generated from that and thank God the director was so open to everything I mean honestly every decision she made she came to me first and that is so rare 
Um, she was really great. She, you know, a lot of times, like, she, a lot of times the director doesn't even, like, take the suggestions from the producers and they don't even like, they just do whatever they want to do and they twist things around and they're like so egotistical. And she was, Andrea Nevins was so like, so curious and so she didn't like have a lot of ego at all and she was just so like you're the expert, you know what you're talking about and she really listened to us and was so curious and I'm so grateful for that. Um, and you know she like she would edit it and then show us the copies of it and and I'd be like no 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 this is not please like she, like you know she would give us a copy of it and I'd be like can you please put like funny or stand up in it and can you do this you could can you do that and it was just it was a dream in that way um I just have to say I'm so I'm actually amazed like even since the movie came out and the, everyone was so enlightened and so many comics were like oh god and even male comics were like this is incredible and I'm so blown away by it and I I, I so many people were like I cannot believe what female comics go through and their eyes were open to so many things I'm looking at all these lineups recently <laughs> and I'm like what the fuck is going on like, things are honestly even kind of worse than they were. I'm not talking about in New York. But, God, in L.A., I'm looking at these lineups, and I'm like, what's happening? I, I'm not even seeing one woman comment. I'm like, what? in New York, it's good. Like, there's a lot of women on, on lineups in New York. But in L.A., I'm like, is, is this is something going on where they're, like, purposely not booking women? It's really incredible. I, I'm not going to try and claim to be a woke person or a feminist or anything like that, either. but I notice it myself I'm too. Not it's... I'm not a woke person. Like I'm actually pretty uh, in the middle on a lot of stuff. I'm not like <laughs> a lot of that stuff drives me crazy. Um, but I'm really like, is are they purposely not booking women? Is what is going on? It sometimes feel that way. Uh, this weekend was I called the cavalcade of white men comedians. This this past weekend, where it's like we had an early show that was three white guys, uh, a five o'clock you know show that was all white guys. The the uh, Friday the the Wednesday show earlier that week was three white guys. You know the the weekend show was two white guys and one white woman. I'm like, geez, can we get a little bit of change? Like, yeah, I and mean, it seems that way. Like, yeah. I, and I don't I don't know if it falls under the, maybe you, maybe the, you notice this or maybe you can uh, speak to it or maybe it just makes you as weird. Is it, is it the people booking or is it just sometimes harder to find? No, it's not hard to find female comedians. There's, it's not hard to find female comedians. So that's not the excuse. And I'm very realistic and I'm not an angry female comic. I get a shitload of work, so I'm not resentful. I'm not bitter. I get an enormous amount of work because I'm a funny female comic. I'm a funny comic, period. So I am not lacking in work. I am every day I'm turning down a shitload of work. So I'm not coming from a place of I don't get enough work. I'm a female comic and I don't get enough work. I am. I get an enormous amount of work and I'm very grateful but I am looking at these lineups at some of these clubs and and, and especially in LA and I'm like because they're posted on Twitter and Instagram whatever and I'm like is 
is there is there something going on like what is happening i mean i'm not kidding there's 15 comics and i'm not seeing one female comic like is there what is going on what is going on there are there especially in la there's like there's a hundred female comics that are really funny like it's not like i'm talking about maybe in a town where there might not be I mean, I'm being realistic right now. There might not be a ton of female comics in some of these places that are really strong. There might not be in some cities. And that's real. There might not be. But in places where there's cities where there's a lot of female comics who are really funny, why are they not being booked? What is happening? I mean, is it... It's a great question. What is going on here? Or black comics or... um, and listen, do I don't agree with let's just book women, black people, Asian people, and Hispanic people so that it looks like they're being diverse. I don't agree with that. But let's book them because they're funny and they'll kill and let's show diversity because that's that's who's coming to the club. And let's show all different kinds of comics because that's also what people want to see. People want to see a diverse lineup. They don't want to see straight white male after straight white male after, you know, when people see a diverse lineup, when they go to the comedy cellar and they see that they come out and I hear it constantly. They come out of the show and I say, what a great fucking show. I saw every kind of person. That is a great show. That was really like an amazing show. I'm so glad I got to see every, Every different kind of comic, different points of views, different ethnicities, gay, straight, trans, this, that. I mean, it's like it's more it's a better show. It's more interesting. I agree. Uh, Out of the from the documentary, is there any interview or is there anyone that was supposed to be a part of it that end up on the cutting room floor that you just didn't fit in no. and you regret getting, Oh, it's good. Everything got in. Yeah. Good. Everything got in it. I mean, some, something like a lot, of course, a ton of things were cut out. Uh, oh yes, of course. Uh, but was there anything like specific, like we really wish we could have gotten this in, but no, well, I mean, good. no, like, I mean, there was a lot like that. I was filmed about my family that I wish got in, but there just wasn't time. There just wasn't enough time. But like there were, a ton of people we reached out to to be in it um, that that either were filming stuff at the time um, or, you know, that couldn't do weren't interested in doing it. I mean, that always happens. Um, so that sucked. You know, people <laughs> that I wish, you know, could have done it. Um, but no, there wasn't like there wasn't stuff like that. Um, if, if it's okay, if I may ask you a couple questions about your family, because I know, uh, there's a, sure. uh, uh, a well-to-do, uh, experienced filmmaker in your family when the conversation of this documentary was coming up or some of the old, uh, some of the former movies you have worked on and stuff. Ha- do you and him consult, consult each other? Or is there a notes conversation? Is there any good advice or tips that you've received from, from your stepbrother or that he's. Or you've turned around, it's like, hey, I know you've made movies, but is, here's something you might want to be aware of. Is there ever a family conversation about filmmaking? Um, yes. Like, 
so Zach and I have talked, we talk a lot, you know, I, I, he came to my show, <clears throat> excuse me, Zach has been coming to my shows at the comedy cellar every week, actually. Um, cause he's in town in New York. He's about to film a movie in our hometown in Jersey with oh, actually nice. a drama, very serious drama, um, with his girlfriend Florence and then, uh, Morgan Freeman and Molly Shannon. And um, so he, and he loves coming to the comedy cellar. He loves coming to stand up shows. So he came with my mom the past couple of weeks and my sister came last week. And so it's really fun. It's really great to have my family come to my shows. And he, I actually sat with him and ate dinner the other night and picked his brain because I have a situation with a business thing with a sitcom deal that I have with NBC Peacock. And I asked his advice and asked him a ton of questions about how to handle it, and what to do. And it was great. You know, it's so I feel very grateful that I can go to him, <clears throat> excuse me, and ask him these questions of what to do and how to, you know, how to do it because he has so much experience with this stuff. So he's so smart. He's really, I mean, he's so brilliant. Like he's a, he's a writer, he's a director, he's a producer. He has so much knowledge. So it's really, and then he comes to me and says, my God, how do you do stand up? I could never do that. I mean, he came on stage with me once at, at the cellar. I, he was in the audience and I said, come on stage with me. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and I, I brought him on stage with me. I have it on, on tape and he was panicking. <laughs> it's hilarious. He was having like a nervous breakdown on stage with me. Um, and, uh, he was, it's hilarious. He was wearing this blue t-shirt and he had like huge sweat marks. He was having <laughs> so nervous to be on stage doing stand-up, <laughs> not stand-up, but we were telling stories about our childhood and he was freaking out. So he can't, he can't even imagine doing what I do. And I can't even imagine doing what he does. You know, acting for the camera and uh, uh, you know, performing for a camera and performing for live people are two worldly different skill sets. Oh, Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's adorable. It, it, I love hearing that you guys get together uh, or that you get along because sometimes you hear about sibling rivalries in the entertainment business with people. I mean, my brother and myself, uh, my brother and I haven't talked in eight years um, because of his choice, not mine. I wish we could. He just doesn't want to. So that's just the world I live in. So it's nice to hear other people get along with their siblings. Every family has that shit. I mean, we have our own stuff. I'm, uh, you know, he's great. He, uh, but everyone has their surus. That's a Yiddish word for like, you know, <laughs> problems and whatever <laughs> in a family. The, the, of course, there's politics stuff in, in my family. There's always like stuff that goes on and, and different things that happen. But uh, with him, it's it's cool. Uh, it's definitely it, it's it's definitely good. Excellent. Yeah. And I know your mother is is a therapist. You've talked about in your stand up. It's a, it's a known thing. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you also went to school to be a psychiatrist, uh, a social worker, actually. social worker. Okay. Yep. Because I thought you had a degree in uh, sociology from university of Maryland. Um, go Terps. But the, uh, so I was yeah. wondering when you started to make that transition into stand up, was that a conversation that you had to have with your mom about not going into the necessary family business there? Was she understanding? Was she supportive? Or was it one of those things you just had to convince her that this was your plan for life and this is the the road that you need to go down for you and it took her time to understand or anything like that 
so I went to school to be a social worker and then uh, <laughs> went to NYU. It was a fortune. When I told my parents that I was going to be a stand-up comedian, they were like, are you out of your mind? Like, it was <laughs> literally out of my mind. But they also knew how funny I was. You know, I was always – I had the gift of being funny and – that sounds egotistical, but I, if anyone knows me and follows my career, they know I'm filled with self hatred. <laughs> um, part of the reason why I'm funny, the main, the major part of why I'm funny. Um, so, you know, they thought I was nuts. They also, in the beginning, you know, it was horrific. I was doing open mics for years. I made a dollar. Um, I would do these shows in the city at clubs and make $10, $15. They were like, what? what is this? Like, how could they pay you that much to do stand up at a comedy club? Like they didn't even, they couldn't wrap their brains around that. Um, and it was, it, it was tough. It was tough for a long time, but I think once they saw that I was having some success and starting to do the road and starting to do some TV stuff, they were like, Oh, okay. Okay. You know, they supported it, but also, my mom, you know, it's interesting. My parents, I don't know. I come from a pretty cool family and pretty cool parents. Like they, they understood art, the arts, you know, they always were like, they both did theater growing up. Like they were in community theater. They, they always supported Broadway and this and that, and they kind of got it. You know, they, they weren't, I don't know. They kind of got that. I, I, and they saw that I was good at it, even though, like, even if I bought, like, they saw I had potential from the beginning. So they supported it. So I was pretty lucky that way. I don't think you should sell yourself short when you're talking about, uh, you know, Zach being able to do all these other things because you yourself have a multitude of talents in the comedy business. Yeah. Not only your stand up, you've been a writer, you've consulted on different uh, comedy movies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and just in comedy itself. You know, emceeing is a completely different skill set than featuring, which is a completely different skill set than headlining. Um, and of course, you do comedy in different places like private shows. Mm -hmm. uh, you've done warm up act, uh, as I've understood. When you go into these different versions of comedy, mm -hmm. do you have to be aware of the medium you are and change some of the way you do things to fit? the place that you're in? That's a great question. And, you know, a lot of times I just want to say, I do forget all the things that I've done and I've done a <laughs> lot of shit in this business. And I really have, I mean, I did warm up for years for television. I did it for the Mike and Juliet show, which was a morning show for Fox, which I met, Oh my God, on a daily basis. I worked with, this is incredible, but I worked with Geraldo and judge Janine. I mean, it's crazy that I worked with these people on a daily and they weren't who they were then, you know, who they are now. They were great. Um, and I met a ton of celebrities. I mean, I, 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 did the morning I did warm up for the morning show the first day Taylor Swift was ever on television. She was oh, on oh, wow. the Mike and Juliet show. You know, I met tons of people on that show. And I I worked for The View for a long time doing warm-up. I worked on Bethany and Anderson Cooper and um and then I did cruise ships for years and I did college tours for years and um, I've done orthodox shows many, many, many times on the road and, and done 
so many different things. And yes, I've done, I've done, I've produced for a lot of things and I want to start getting into directing. And I love doing that. I, I, you can't just depend on just doing stand up anymore. You know, if you want to really be successful in this business and make money, you have to do a ton of different things. Um, so I love doing that. And I've had to learn if, if you want to make money, I'm talking about and really, make a good living, you have to learn how to do stand up, do different audiences and adapt. And I've had to learn how to be very, very clean, um, to do colleges and corporate gigs and orthodox shows and all these different things. And I've made that decision. You know, a lot of comics don't want to do that. And I get it. And I respect that, you know, completely. But because I have kids and because I've want to make, wanted to make money and save money and retire one day, I've decided to clean up my act at certain times and and um, and appeal to different audiences at different times. Like when I do an Orthodox show, I don't come out because not because I I care what they think of me at all, but because I know if I do, I'm going to struggle for an hour. And why do I want to put myself in that position and not get laughs for an hour <laughs> rather than just get the job done and get a big check and go home and then do talk about it the next night and make fun of them. You know what I mean? It's like, it's my decision and I won't do it unless I know I'm going to make a lot of money. It's not worth it for me. So uh, that's inspiring to hear that, that you're aware that, Hey, if I want to perform for this crowd, I have to adjust myself to them. Uh, and, and, and it, because so many times you hear people go, if they don't, if they don't find my dick jokes funny, that's their fault. And it's nice to hear somebody is conscious and aware that this is, you know, both an art form and a business that you're in this for both yourself and also the making sure the audience enjoys what you're saying and doing. Right. Exactly. I'm also surprised that you mentioned uh, Bethany Frankel's name uh, that you worked on for the show because uh, I feel like there was a uh, uh, article a couple years ago. May, who knows? With the pandemic, I don't know if it's been years or months, but like a few years ago, didn't you have problem with her show? Well, that's why there was an article because um, I <laughs> did not mean anything to go to the point it did, but I tweeted something about her because she tweeted something about, um, what's her name? John Legend's wife. Oh God. What's Chrissy Teigen? Yes. Something rude about her. And I tweeted, you're one to talk because I did warm up for her show for months. Um, and warm up sucks and you have to be like, Hey, and be totally clean. And like (laughs) soul dies and you want to, Oh, it's horrible. And, you know, you have to phone it in and it's, it's great money. I mean, again, that's why I did it. I have kids and I went there every morning and just, I mean, the crowds, they're great. They're dying to go there and be in the live audience. But anyway, I'd show up every morning and do that. And she would come in and the hosts are always nice to the warm up people because they know it's a hard job and they want you to do a great job because you're the fluffer. You're the one that gets the audience going so that they look great. And um, she didn't say hi to me once. She literally talked to me like I was a piece of shit and was like, can you get them going more and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is the rudest person on earth. She was never like, hello, I'm Bethany or hi, thank you so much. You're doing a great job or hi, what's your name? So, and I'm thinking, who the fuck are you? And I, you know, have worked with, 
the most famous people in this business. And God, I mean, my stepbrother's famous. I've met everyone through him. I've hung out with everyone through him. I've been to all these movie premieres. I've, you know, he dated Mandy Moore. I mean, she was at my house. Mm-hmm. over for God's sake. And like, <laughs> who are you? I could care less who you are. You don't even phase me. And I literally one day walked off set. I, I had had enough of it. I was in the middle of the show and I took the microphone and put it down on the side of the stage and literally left. I was like, I'm done. It was hilarious. I'm like, I'm so done with this woman. I'm like, she was treating me like I was an animal. I'm like, I literally didn't even say goodbye to anyone. I just took the microphone, put it down, got my bag and left. I mean, that's how I am. I'll take it for, for a long time. But then at a certain point, I'm like, I don't care who you are or what you, you know, anything. I'm just, I'm done. That's, that's bold to have that self-confidence to be able to say, I don't need to be treated this way. I'm going to walk off. So hats off to you. Oh, that's how I am. You, you can, I'd rather do comedy on the street with a bucket than treated (laughs) like that. I mean, I have pride. Like I am not going to be treated like that by anybody. Is it fair to say that uh, I, I like when I watch your comedy, I mean this with the utmost respect when I say that I think your comedy is very aggressive yeah. because it's very fast. It's very loud. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hysterical and great. Do you feel that that is also a reflection of your personality in a, in, in a non pejorative way? You know, it's funny off stage. I'm pretty mellow um, and socially awkward at this point. Um, and I, I'm anxious and, I'm not aggressive off stage. I mean, if people are rude to me or aggressive towards me, I'll be aggressive back, but I'm not aggressive off stage. Um, I think on stage, I feel um, vulnerable and, um, you know, uh, um, like naked, you know what I'm saying? So I feel more aggressive and, uh, you know, I feel more powerful, of course, like standing on stage with a microphone. And um, but I, there's also times on stage when I'm, you know, if I'm doing a long set, I'm I'm there's times when I'm really mellow and quiet. And there's times when I turn around and I have my back to the audience and I do that internal monologue. <laughs> I'm very inward. And there's times when my um stand up is is pretty mellow it's interesting i have all different styles on stage but the clips that people see online are very aggressive you know for the most part but it's not always like that uh and the last question i'll ask you since you opened up about being, being vulnerable after this question we'll we'll let you get back to your other uh activities that you need to get done today is uh since you're talking about being open and vulnerable uh one of the things that I relate to because I have similar uh, issues is I'm, I'm uh, I love that you're open, that you open up about your uh, struggles with food addiction and, you know, some of the weight issues you've experienced over your life. Is it important to you personally and your growth as a person and getting through these issues to talk about this stuff on stage? Or have you only been able to talk about this on stage because you have dealt with these demons, so to speak in your life? already now you're a great interviewer by the way thank you this clip is uh going on my wall of compliments (laughs) well i'm not saying it even just to be nice i've done 
hundreds, if not a thousand interviews, and you're a very good interviewer. So you deserve to be told that. And when I feel that someone deserves a compliment, I always say it because people don't compliment people enough. And you really are a great interviewer. So everyone should hear that and everyone should spread the word about your podcast. It's a podcast, right? Uh, yes, it's going to be uh, both a print Q&A interview in Dig Boston, and then we're going to release it as a podcast episode as well. Well, make sure you print this, too. It's, <laughs> you're a great interviewer. Um, and yes, I feel that it's very important to talk about my food issues because it's, it's a demon for me. And, you know, it's funny. It's funny you even asked that question because someone said to me, everyone says to me, you've lost so much weight. And why do you talk about food so much? And you don't need to talk about it so much. And, and you know, you look so great. And why do you, and like, it's like, yeah, guess what? I need to talk about it a lot because I deal with it every single day. It's a major addiction for me. It's a huge source of pain in my life and stress. It's something that I've had so much history with from a very young age. I've had trauma around it. I was put on diets um, from the age of probably eight years old. Um, I, you know, have dealt with a ton of stuff with food addiction and, and, um, and I struggle with it every single day, every day, all day, I have to make decisions around it. And, um, and I constantly want to act out with food and I constantly want to hurt myself with food. And, um, it's really hard for me. It really is. And, you know, even this morning I wanted to eat, you know, eat bad food and had to really not do it and say, Jessica, don't do it. Don't, don't eat that. You're going to feel bad, you know, try to make good decisions. And it's really hard. It's really, really hard for me every day. And I, you know, tomorrow I'm flying to DC to go on the road for four days and it's going to be very hard for me to be in a hotel. And, you know, I want to hurt myself with food. I really do. I want to, I, because a lot of times I get um, resentful towards other people and it's hard for me to express myself towards them. And I want to take it out on myself. I want to eat because I'm sober. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke pot. I don't do anything. And that's the one thing that would be very easy for me to do because you have to eat. And, mm -hmm. um, it's easy. It's easy. It's accessible. I can order pizza. I can do this. I can do that. But you know what? It is incredibly dangerous because I can kill myself with food. Literally, I can kill myself with food. I can have a heart attack. I, I have been 330 pounds. That is how fat I, that is how heavy I've gotten. And I've lost 120 pounds. I've lost even more than that at this point. And, um, and I will die from food and eating. I will literally die if I don't work on it daily. Um, so it's a very serious thing for me and it is, and it is funny and I can joke about it, but when people tell me, don't, don't make fun of yourself. Don't, don't, you know, talk about food so much. And why do you talk about it a lot? Because I have to. And I also feel it's important because it helps other people. And, um, and, and people need to hear about it and people can relate to it. And so many people struggle with it. So people thank me for talking about it. And, 
you know, and I'll always talk about it because it'll always be something I struggle with. So it's, um, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, I have a food addiction. It's nice to hear you, uh, talk about and that people also can relate to you and can look up to you as someone that they can, you know, feel more comfortable about dealing with their issues with. Yeah. So that's great to hear. Uh, uh, have a great time in DC and I can't wait to see you here in Boston. Awesome. Thank you so much. You were great. You were great. Uh, Excellent. Thank you for saying that. Have a great day. Bye. So nice. I love when people are nice. Thank you so much for listening to this entire interview all the way to the end. And as a reward, here's an exclusive clip from Jessica Kirsten and Rachel Feinstein's new prank call album, The Call Girls. Enjoy. Yeah. Hi, I'm looking for some supplements. Uh, sure. What are you looking for? Well, I'm just trying to eat a little less. I've been eating a lot during the quarantine. Is there anything to help speed up your weight loss? Yeah. Uh, have a few different fat burners. Did you tell him it's an emergency? And say your pounds. You got to own it. I'm trying to get healthy, and I've gotten up to 309. All right. Well, uh, I do have a few different fat burners that you could potentially use. What's your name? Uh, Shane. Shane, do you have anything that can double up and protect him from the virus? He's at high risk. He's fatter than ever. Uh, <laughs> I don't have anything that can help with uh, that. I can help with the weight loss, which is probably... Yeah, that's that's about where it ends. I'm worried about the virus. You know, it attacks fats. He'll get soaked with it. And we can't just lift him up with some sort of crane instrument. I don't have the dough to lift him. It's too expensive. Uh, uh, I, I mean, if you want to look up what some of the things are that might help, I'll see if I have them in the store. Shane! Yeah. You sell any roast beef? No. I want roast beef. I'd like a half a pound of roast beef. Extra rare and a half a pound of provolone. Thinly sliced, Shane, because it's an emergency at this point. And when he asks for a slab of beef, it could tip him over the edge. We don't want to lose him, ultimately. We just want to break from him. He's a strange color, too. And I don't just mean dirty out of the shower, kind of brownish. No, it's like green. And we try to empower him, but he's violently ugly at this point. I need help, some kind of cleanse. Right. I cannot help with majority of those things. Shane, do you ever listen to prank calls? Uh, sorry. Give me one second. Shane. Shane, I need mayo. <laughs>